and welcome to the Blast from Our Past podcast. We are the podcast that gives you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, and a whole lot more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. I'm Adam. I'm John. And in today's episode, we've just got a short episode for you. It's a short one. It's a Martin short one. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to be breaking down the 1987 film Inner Space alongside doing a review of the Canadian sketch comedy show SCTV, as well as doing our own casting of a brand new Inner Space movie, which I'm honestly kind of shocked that they haven't remade this movie already. I know. Talking to other people, just kind of like doing like the prep for this episode, not a lot of people knew this one. Yeah, this is definitely, uh, I think this is a deeper cut. This also came out in a summer of just a huge amount of blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of got buried a little bit, which I'll, I'll talk about it in a sec when we talk about 1987. Before we get into 1987, the fantastic year that I'm sure it was, as you will tell us, uh, we got a new iTunes review, John. All right. And this five-star review, that's right, another five-star review, came from Zach from Santa Monica is his name. So All right. Awesome. I guess he's from Santa Monica, if I had to guess. It would be weird if he wasn't. Yeah, (laughs) the title is called So Good. Uh, All the feels from 80s nostalgia, blast from the past, blast from our past, Zach, come on, Uh, delivers laughs and insight from a fun selection of topics. You won't be disappointed. Well, I'm not disappointed in that review, even though you fucked up our name. I still appreciate you, Zach. You are amazing. Thank you so much for your iTunes review. Everybody else, if you want to go right now and review us, we would appreciate it because... Uh, A lot of people listen on iTunes, and doing more reviews gets it a little bit more easily discovered. It can actually pop up on other people's feeds a little bit more easily. So if you do that, we would love you for it. I don't even know how to follow that up. (laughs) Well, I think I said it all. The only way that we can follow that up is going back to the past. Back to 1987, John. Could you fill us in on what a fantastic year it must have been? It was an absolutely uh, fantastic year. So, Inner Space came out on July 1st, 1987. The Billboard Top 100 single of that week was a song I think we've actually talked about before. I'm not sure which episode we talked about it, but the song was I Want to Dance with Somebody by Whitney Houston. Yeah, that's a great song. That's a catchy song. I mean, that's one of Whitney's best, in my opinion. Absolutely. We had the uh, the the forty five of that album, or not that album of that single, right? Um, because when our mom would you know do jazzercise, that's a, obviously that's a high moving, good jazzercise song. I definitely would put that on my rotation. Yeah. So uh, as I kind of mentioned, the summer of nineteen eighty seven had a whole lot of movies. So in July alone. At the same time the Inner Space came out, another movie called Adventures in Babysitting came out. <laughs> okay, yeah. That's on our list to eventually get to. Which actually beat it at the box office. Also, <laughs> okay. uh, the next week was Revenge of the Nerds 2, Nerds in Paradise. Oh, shit. <laughs> the week after that was Jaws 4 and RoboCop. Oh, Jaws 4. Was that Jaws the Revenge? Yes, it was. Oh, my God. That is like one of the worst movies of all time. Yep. <laughs> and RoboCop, is that what you said? Yeah, RoboCop. Okay, all right. At least, a, at least a solid one in there. Yeah. 
Uh, next week was a, a comedy called Summer School, which I've heard of, but I've never seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've absolutely seen Summer School. Yeah, I mean, it's a good it's a good 80s kind of cheesy school comedy. Okay. Also some creepy some creepy kind of like uh, teacher and uh, student kind of sexual thing going on there, too. It, it was weird. A little, you just got to see A it. little Lolita stuff going on? Yeah, yeah, but it's good. It's good. Okay. Uh, the week after that was La Bamba and Superman 4. Oh, didn't Superman 4 suck? <laughs> uh, yes. In fact, La Bamba crushed it at the box office. Okay, good. Um, La Bamba was good. La Bamba was quite good. Yes. The final week was Lost Boys. Oh, shit. Some vampire movies. Yes. And the movie that took home the most amount of money to date for that month, which is a movie I'd actually never heard of until I looked it up because I was not a huge fan of this franchise, and it was a movie called The Living Daylights. I'm with you. I've never heard of The Living Daylights. Is that like a a zombie movie? That is a Timothy Dalton Bond movie. Oh, it's it's a Bond movie. Yeah. It wow! It, it did not do very well. Uh, sorry, it did not do very well domestically. Like to date, it's only made about fifty million dollars, but it made a hundred and forty million dollars internationally. Oh, so wow. it's made it's made the most money out of any of the movies that have come out at that time or in that month per se. All right, uh, I'm not. I'm with you. I'm not a Bond fan. No, I'm not really either. We haven't put any single Bond movies in our list and they're never going to be on our list. We just didn't grow up with it. That's the, the thing. The only one I would consider would be Goldeneye. Yeah, and uh, if, if we paired it with uh, playing the video game, we're talking about the <laughs> right. video game. I mean, it was the, it, it, that one was the first Bond movie I remember actually going to see in the theaters. I do remember enjoying it. I did like uh, Pierce Brosnan, but I, I have not really seen many of them since then. I only saw Goldeneye, and I only saw the first half because the second half, me and this girl were making out during it. Uh, <laughs> and it, it was, I didn't see it in the theater. I saw it like, I don't know. I think I was in college or after college or something when okay. I actually saw the movie. In 1987, this was the height of their popularity. 22% of all mattresses sold in the U.S. were waterbeds. <laughs> 22%? Holy fuck, that's a huge percent for waterbeds. Yes, it is. And we had a waterbed in our house. Yes, we did. I, I had one when I was younger, and that one eventually went to our sister, and the only reason it went to our sister was because uh, she was getting older. She originally, uh, you two shared a room when you were, you know, when you were really, really little. Yeah. And then when she got older, I had to switch and I had to share a room with you, but our parents would not move the waterbed. Yeah. <laughs> of course not. So our sister got the waterbed. And then much later, after actually kind of our, our parents' divorce and all that, our father had the waterbed. Oh yeah, for a while. Remember he? I remember he, I remember him having that. That's right. Yep. And you got to sleep with me. We shared a room until you went to college. That's right. I'm <laughs> I'm sure there are plenty of people who were in that situation. That's not really oh yeah usual. So and then this is the last little bit of information from 1987. It just I found it to be a, a little interesting. So there was an FBI agent named Robert Han- uh, Hansen who was tasked by his superiors to find a mole within the FBI because the mo- the FBI's moles that were in the KGB had been caught. Do you know who the mole was? It was Robert Hansen. Is Ro- oh, Robert Hansen. It was the, Holy it shit. was the one who they tasked to find the mole. Oh, he was the mole. Oh fuck. That ooh, that's a, what a great position he was in. Yeah, and he had been a mole since 1979. Ha. It was just That's funny. Interesting little bit of a uh, Kind of history, I thought it was fun. And that was that's pretty much uh, some more interesting stuff from 1987. Very cool. I was trying really hard to figure out how I can put in like a mole joke, like a mole, 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 <laughs> or uh, something about, you know, about the mole being on somebody's face or something. But it didn't it didn't go go well. I couldn't think of it fast enough. So. That's all right. 
Oh, well. All right. Well, you know, moles behind us. Let's go deep inside the human body, if you will. Not just on the outside. Not outside on the outer layer. We're going to go inside, you know, where you get it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fuck <laughs> it. Let's get into inner space. <laughs> Inner Space from 1987 was directed by Joe Dante. We have talked about Joe Dante before on our episode on The Explorers. Um, he is the director of Gremlins and Gremlins 2, uh, The Burbs, which is a fantastic movie. And, you know, at the time, Explorers was freaking fantastic. So mm-hmm. uh, Joe Dante, solid-ass 80s director. Uh, this film was uh, in part produced by... Uh, two legendary producers, Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy. Mm. Um, so, like, that's huge names and creative minds and money behind them. Yeah. The music in this film was done by Jerry Goldsmith, who obviously Joe Dante liked to work with him because he used him previously in The Explorers as well. And we talked about him uh, also on Star Trek The Next Generation because he was, um, you know, the, he did the music for that as well. Yep. Uh, so we've got a good, strong uh, musician. So like the the crew is already being pretty awesome. Uh, someone I wanted to call out in the special effects department because there were a few. There's definitely some special effects going on in this film. I think they actually won an Oscar for best visual effects. Did they really? Well, that's that's awesome. I believe so. That is uh, that's not too much of a surprise going back and rewatching it because pretty much like the pod stuff and and all of like the practical kind of effects that they did of like the blood and like all this this when the pod had to like interact with the with the human body looks pretty goddamn good. Yeah. So the special effects, uh, at least like the the makeup, the special effects makeup in this film um, was done by Rob Botton. Particularly what I'm thinking of for the makeup scenes are probably, you know, when Martin Short has to change his face mm-hmm. later on. Yeah. But anyway, so Rob Botton, he was the creator and designer of RoboCop. Ah. As well as doing special effects makeup in Explorers, and that had aliens, and we know that was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Uh, also did the special effects makeup on Legend, which has some killer Tim Curry, Satan. Oh, yeah. Uh, as well as special effects makeup on Total Recall, which has some killer stuff, mm-hmm. uh, especially at the end when people are, like, suffocating on Mars. <laughs> uh, and he was, I mean, he was he did assistant makeup on Star Wars, A New Hope, so obviously that's probably where he got some of his kick-ass chops as well. Yeah. Uh, Inner Space stars Dennis Quaid as Lieutenant Tuck Pendleton. You know Dennis Quaid from Great Balls of Fire, Dragonheart, Wyatt Earp. Um, I, I, I mean, he's been in plenty of stuff, but like when I think of like really, really big Dennis Quaid movies, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I think he was in um, what was that disaster movie? Um, oh, uh, the day after tomorrow. The after, yeah, that might be the biggest like probably like the, the biggest film he's ever been in. But when I think of him, I probably probably the first thing I think of is Dragonheart. Honestly, oh, the first thing I think of is Inner Space. But yeah, I, Dragonheart is one. I don't know. I, I kind of want to go revisit it eventually. It's not really one from our nostalgia. I didn't. I'm not really nostalgic for it. No, but but I mean, it was from that late era, and it was a huge visual effects pioneer of a film. Yeah, uh, my wife loves that movie. All right, so we'll put it we'll put it on the back burner. It'll be maybe on like the the down the line list. Okay, just for your wife. Okay, because she's cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, Inner Space also stars Martin Short as Jack Putter. Martin Short, you would know from SC- SCTV, SNL, Three Amigos, tons of stuff. Uh, primetime Glick. Uh-huh. He's been in a bunch of shit, and uh, we'll probably talk more about him on our SC- SCTV section. Mm-hmm. Uh, also starring Meg Ryan as Lydia. Meg Ryan was, uh, I don't know, one of the 
We're just one of the sweethearts of the 80s, honestly. And the 90s a little. And, and absolutely, absolutely in the 90s, you know, like the, the early 90s section and even, even late 90s, like probably all the way through it because, yep. you know, You Got Mail was, I think, was maybe even early 2000s and she was right. still kind of a an American sweetheart. Yep. You know, in the late 80s, we had what, Sleepless in Seattle, When Harry Met Sally, Top Gun even mm-hmm. uh, was an early role for her. And she's just, she was just adorable. And she is adorable in this film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Kevin McCarthy plays Victor Scrimshaw, our main villain. Uh, and you might know him if you saw the old school Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He was, uh, I believe, the star in that one. Uh, he was also in the Twilight Zone movie from the 80s. Okay. If you remember that section where it was like the the kid who could like control shit with his mind. Yes. Yeah, there's he so Kevin McCarthy was in that section, and, okay. and you can kind of I think he played like the grandpa or something. But you, you if you saw him, and they're like, oh shit, yeah, that guy. <laughs> and he was also in like the the early Piranha movie. Oh, okay, uh, and then Fiona Lewis played Doctor Kanker, uh, who is like our female villain, and I only just call her the Doctor. I don't think I even really know knew her last name was Kanker until right. I looked her up on IMDb, uh, and she wasn't in a damn thing that I recognized. <laughs> and Inner Space was actually like the last thing she worked on up until like 2010. She kind of appeared again, huh. so it was like okay, that was a big jump of like. 20 something years of just not doing stuff right uh, and some other people that we will get to as we get to them yep. uh, but those kind of are our main people so we start off the film and we're kind of looking at these crystal looking things and it's like whoa are we this is, it looks like we're in a diamond or something and i do like the opening credits as they're kind of like just looking over some something that we don't really know the camera pulls out and it's uh, ice kind of fools you it's cute I, I really kind of like that it works really well it's like oh we're really tight inside this ice obviously something that we will kind of come back to of being very tiny right and and we see some whiskey being poured over it so um we're at this air force gala something like that Mm -hmm. uh and we see dennis quaid he's obviously a bit drunk everyone is uh dressed up you know it's it's pretty fancy he's kind of falling down drunk honestly and we can kind of get immediately you know we see we find out that he is uh you know a washed up kind of air force guy this this tuck pendleton his date lydia is there he's kind of i don't know he's causing a ruckus that's for damn sure <laughs> and i can tell you i mean i i definitely saw this movie plenty of times as a kid but i kind of forgot the whole setup that dennis quaid was like a like a washed up you know drunk douche <laughs> <laughs> i just i don't know why it is i just kind of forgot that about him yeah. uh, and about his character about tuck Um, But they go home and, you know, you just kind of tell this is the kind of relationship where Lydia should not be sticking around with Tuck anymore. You know, he's he's obviously a bum. She's a bum and she's too good for him, but she still loves him. You know, we kind of get a little setup that they have a song uh, and, you know, Tuck plays it for her and she just kind of, you know, still love with him. And that song, amazing song is uh, Cupid by Sam Cooke. Cupid, draw back your bow. My lover's heart for me, for me. It's just, it's a very pretty, I love like old school R&B and Motown and things like that. And Sam Cooke, who died way too young, unfortunately, he put out so many good hits. And Cupid, Cupid might be 
his biggest hit. I don't know. Probably not. Maybe Wonderful Wonderful World. It could be is a great one too. I mean, he's got so many good shit. Yeah, but good songs. But um, but yeah, there's just something about that one that I absolutely adore. We cut to the morning, and we're in. Uh, Meg Ryan or Lydia is in a cab, and she's leaving him. She's done. She left a note, and she is just like, all right, you know what? She's she's got to ditch this guy. She knows she knows she is better than him. And we get a funny scene that I 100% forgot about <laughs> is. Uh, Tuck's towel gets <laughs> trapped in the uh, the cab door, and the cab drives away. And we see Dennis Quaid just uh, you know out there in his in his bum in his own, seeing his his nice little body, his nice little butt uh, out in the air. Uh, and it's and it's funny. It's honestly a funny ass scene. Yeah. Did you by chance recognize the cab driver? I did. Uh, he was also in Explorers. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, he he was he was the helicopter pilot, and I know I've seen him in other things too. Yeah, he was in Gremlins. Yeah, Gremlins. That's the one I was thinking of. Yep. That, that's probably the thing that we both recognize him for. He was also in the Terminator. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away just this year. Oh, really? Just this January. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, he's just one of those kind of faces that you just have seen around in plenty of stuff. And and Joe Dante, I think, obviously using him in Gremlins, this movie, and Explorers, uh, Explorers. Then obviously, you know, they must have been friends, or you know, you keep using them. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, we cut to this random doctor's office, and we see Martin Short, aka Jack. Uh, obviously, he is like this neurotic hypochondriac. Uh, you know, the, the doctor obviously is very used to dealing with him, and he tells us about this dream, this nightmare that he had, where you know he's he's working a register, so he works at a grocery store. He's get, he keeps like overcharging this lady. He rings stuff up normally, but it's like doing huge prices, mm-hmm. uh, and like she ends up pulling a gun at the end, and like you know he's freaked out and he's, he's this night he's assuming he's gonna get shot basically the doctor's like dude calm your shit you know you're fine just go on vacation that's basically what he wants he's like tells jack go on vacation no more excitement mm-hmm. just you know go have your your regular time yep uh, then we cut to kind of we're in some shitty chat traffic and we see like this nerdy, this nerdy guy and this other kind of like Air Force guy, some top secret experiment going on um, with the, the the other Air Force guy is this dude that was friends with Tuck. We met him earlier at like the Air Force Gala, uh, but it was just kind of like eh, just setting up some stuff that, you know, OK, some some top secret shit's about to go down. And Tuck even kind of like had briefly kind of mentioned little things here or there earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tuck is now kind of like slapping himself in the face, getting himself ready for whatever the hell is about to go down, um, which is about to happen right now. He kind of has this little walk to, you know, this spaceship or something, whatever the hell he's about to go to. Right. And we get a funny little scene where this one girl, uh, this obviously someone who's a lab assistant or, or, you know, a scientist who's there, she goes up and kind of kisses him on the cheek. You know, obviously this is showing us that, okay, whatever he's about to do is something dangerous. And he, like, kind of stops for a second, turns to her, and just starts, like, making out with her right. hard. Because it's like, oh, shit, okay. I guess, uh, you know, maybe he he's about to die or something. <laughs> Which is, you know, seems possible. Because uh, it's so top secret. But it's just funny, you know. It just it further kind of shows, all right, he is a, he's a bit of a player. He's a bit of a douche. Yeah. Um, you know, we just all saw, we just saw that he's supposed to be in love with, uh, Lydia and she left him and, you know, he's making out with this, <laughs> this lab, uh, scientist. And I just, to me, it was just like, all right, you're, you're a bit, a bit of tool, a uh, bit of a tool. But you know what? I also thought I kind of forgot how good looking Dennis Quaid was. Yeah. I mean, like, holy fuck in this part, I was just like, that's a good looking dude right there. Yeah. I mean, between him and mid eighties. Meg Ryan. That's a good-looking couple. They really are. They that would be gorgeous babies. <laughs> I don't know I don't know who the hell either of them, 
you know, actually ended up marrying, but they probably married the wrong people in real life. They should have married each other because those would have been some <laughs> absolutely stunning babies. If they if they would have procreated at that point, that would have been like that would have been the, the next leader of, uh, you know, the earth. I think they could have had that person. <laughs> Isn't that how it works? Just beautiful people, you know, get married and, and they poop out a kid and it becomes, you know, it, it's power level in society is how beautiful it is. Honestly, it seems like it sometimes. Yeah, pretty much on, you know. Instagram, you just have to look good and be on Instagram, and people will pay you for it. And then if you're, and then your parents will, you know, pay somebody to get you into USC's crew team and, uh, you know, go into college. <laughs> Lori Laughlin, you fucked up. <laughs> I know this is not topical anymore, but <laughs> I don't care. It's still funny, and it's definitely not topical by the time this episode comes out. <laughs> I mean, on the one hand, I feel bad, but on the other hand, I don't, I don't give a shit that she be- like honestly. I don't understand. I mean, I don't understand why it's such a huge deal. I just don't care. The funny thing is, like, this shit happens all the time. Like, every college ever has people, like, donating and, like, all right, here's my dumb grandson. Get him into college because I've given you a million bucks. Like, that shit goes, that's, that is rampant. Like, this is pretty much no different. This has never been a secret. No, it's never been a secret. So, I do find it interesting that it's getting cracked. I don't know. Granted, I don't mind that it's getting cracked down, and I certainly don't mind that it's getting cracked down on on entitled USC students, um, <laughs> a bunch, you know, amongst a bunch of other people, especially like the Instagram influencer, like daughter people. Like, ugh, I'm like, uh, I'm so tired of y'all. <laughs> anyway, let's let's move on from that already not topical th- event. All right. <laughs> so Tuck gets into like this cool pod looking thing. You know, obviously he's gonna pilot it. Uh, we get some like nice hopeful music going on right here it's like okay this is this is a big moment that's going to be happening they're kind of they're going through some checks we see like this robotic arm thing it like takes these little microchips and like inserts them into like a machine and shit's going down and then the pod starts spinning really fucking fast and we see this huge like burst of light uh, and we find out that the pod is shrunk super super tiny into like this liquid syringe but it's still all kind of like confusing right now we're like oh Kind of like what the hell's going on? Did the did the pod remind you a little bit of the spaceship from Explorers? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it it, it looked like a less junky, obviously Garage Band version of it or whatever, <laughs> uh, like you know, just put together. But it, this looked like a. But it, the the entire shape of it absolutely was was pretty similar. Okay. Then at this point, uh, a phone repair team comes in, but haha, they are not a phone repair team. Uh, something's going down. You know, it's some other kind of crew that's coming into. Uh, just wreak havoc and, and they want to take the microchip. We get this one shot of the doctor. She is in this crew that walks in and she kind of pulls off her gas mask or whatever the hell that they've got. And she's in a very like, like v- <laughs> a very like Vidal Sassoon. Yeah. Just kind of like, boom, boom. Let me wave my hair in the air and just let you know that I'm a sexy scientist lady from the eighties. Uh, and it's kind of funny. I did appreciate that. They didn't come in and just start shooting everyone. Yes, they gassed people, which is nice. You know, they're not they're not horrible. They just want to steal shit. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't want to kill everybody. Right. Uh, we also see uh, like this kind of weird limo driver guy at the one at this one point, uh, and he's got like this weird looking finger that's sticking out the entire time. And we're like, what the hell's going on with that? So that limo driver uh, is played by vernon wells his name is mr igo but i don't even really i never called him mr igo i don't even I, i'm they might have said it but i just think of him he's kind of like obviously like an assassin kind of character a hitman kind of dude right but the, that guy is played by vernon wells the only other thing that i kind of really really recognized him from is commando and he doesn't look anything like he looks in inner space yes i'm not sure what happened 
No. So he plays Bennett in Commando, who's like the main villain. Bennett is like the dude's got a gut, uh, and he just he I guess also like that mustache that he has in Commando doesn't look anything like this one. Mm-hmm. I was shocked when I saw who that was. I was like, wait a minute, are you fucking kidding me? Because that was only well, you know what? It's like looking at it, Commando was two years earlier, uh-huh. so he must have dropped some good weight then. Yeah, or they hit it really well. Yeah, yeah, or they hit it really well, which uh, good for them or good for him. Um, but yeah, because he did not look the same at all. Anyway, you know, there's uh, this doctor who is there, this you know, this uh, guy who was already like, you know, a part of the regular experiment. Um, he grabs the syringe and, you know, he's about to he, he's about to be injecting it into the rabbit when the time that all this whole like group comes in uh, and kind of busts up the party and. He takes the syringe and he runs with it. There's a whole chase scene that goes on between him and the hitman. Um, and it, it pretty much ends up the doctor goes into the mall. We see Jack is there, the guy that we had met in that previous scene. Uh, who's He's setting up his mm-hmm. cruise vacation. You know, good for him. He's taking the doctor's advice. And at one point we see that weird finger from the assassin guy. He points it at the doctor who he's been chasing, and he shoots out a bullet from his finger. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's kind of strange <laughs> thinking about it. I'm, I'm very kind of curious. Is like, why did they go that route? You know, when I think about it and I rewatch it now, like, they didn't need to do that. He could have just been a regular hitman with a gun. Like, why did they make him have, like, these interchangeable hands with, like, a, a, a finger gun thing? I don't know. I thought it was more like a like a poison dart than it was an actual bullet. Well, maybe. I mean, it was either silenced or something. So whatever it was, he shot the doctor with it. Right. I mean, the doctor was obviously bleeding from it later. Whatever it was, he he killed him. He shot him, and like he was, you know, he's going to be dying from it. Right. It didn't make any sense, other than I guess it maybe like upped the female doctor's credibility because she. We find out much much later that she is the person who doing enhancements in in cybernetics as like a hint. I guess like okay, I guess she's creating this guy's hands. Right. But it's just. Just kind of strange. It's just completely unnecessary other than just for the fact of, hey, look, we've got a guy with a finger gun. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, okay. The doctor who was hit is all shit. You know, he's he knows that he's done for. And he goes up this elevator. And just as he, you know, as it opens, Jack is about to get on. And he drops to his knees. And he injects Tuck into Jack's ass. <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, and then he kind of goes off and dies, basically. And Jack just sits there kind of, like, stunned. Now, the one thing that I'm kind of think, I think is a little bit off is Jack is already established as a hypochondriac. Uh-huh. He just got stabbed with a syringe, with a needle and syringe. How did he not go immediately <laughs> to the doctor's office? Right. Like, if, if he was legitimately like that, he would have been like, oh, my God, what do they do? They're going to kill me. They, or, you know, he would turn that into conspiracy or at least just, like, go get himself checked out right away. Just kind of strange to me. And uh, I, my only guess is maybe he didn't realize it was a syringe. Maybe he thought he just accidentally poked him with something. Could be. I mean, he didn't, like, stare at it while he was getting in. You know, he was just kind of in shock about it. Right. So, I don't know. But he does, he does recognize it as a syringe later when he kind of realizes that Tuck is inside of him. But right. it, it, it just, it, that just didn't fit with me but that's okay okay i I, we get a funny little scene i like that uh so the uh, assassin grabs this syringe you know after that he 
comes up later um, after Jack has kind of like gotten away. He grabs the syringe, you know, and, and then as he walks out, he pops this clown's balloon as he walks out. And then for some reason, I always <laughs> loved and laughed at that part. I always thought it was hilarious. Well, the, the look on the clown, too, is what sells it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, Jack gets to work, you know, at the grocery store. At the same time, we see Tuck is waking up. You know, he's we know he is miniature, uh, and he's inside this body. And, like, you know, he's trying to figure out. He thinks at this point that he's in a rabbit. And so he's like, okay, shit, all right, I'm trying to get shit figured out and what's going on. But, you know, we know that he's inside Jack, but he doesn't yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we also see Jack talking to this very attractive grocery store girl, this other cashier. And that is her name's Wendy. Uh, She is played by Wendy Schall, who nowadays is best known as the voice of Francine on American Dad. Oh, yeah. Boy, my chemistry's a little rusty, but wouldn't it run cleaner if they added another carbon molecule before the potassium? Then it would guzzle C-O-C-K. Yeah, I mean, she's done tons of stuff, but like this is, this is, she's been doing American Dad since 2005 and it's still going. Huh. So yeah, so she's doing, doing well on that. But uh, it's also funny if you, you may or may not pay attention to it, but this Wendy, this, uh, she's kind of like bagging stuff that, that Jack's ringing up and she is the worst bagger I've ever seen. She just like throws, you know, you know, remember that old big ass Gatorade jug? It was a glass jug yep. back, back in the day. Yep. And she takes that and just like drops it like on these eggs <laughs> that were on top of this other thing. Like she just crushes everything. She's awful at her job, but uh, I, I do find it humorous. Um, and then in this scene, we also meet Jack's boss and Jack's boss is played by Henry Gibson. And do you remember where we last saw Henry Gibson on the podcast? Um, I'm going to guess it was all the way back at the Blues Brothers. You are correct. Okay. Where he was a jerk of a Nazi. He was the head Nazi on that episode or on that in that movie. Mm-hmm. But also in this scene, we get this lady who had like this crazy red hairdo and this you know very kind of green popping jacket. Uh, she shows up from his nightmare and Jack's like freaked out right now. You know, at the same time, Tuck is also trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And so he's doing like these magnetic boost pulses, uh, which ultimately end up screwing up the scanner. So we like Jack's nightmare is coming to fruition right now. You know, he's scanning shit. The prices are way high. The total is up to like $128,000. It's like, whoa, things are really fucked up. And then the lady pulls out this gun <laughs> and then she pulls the trigger and it's a little gun lighter. Boom. Did you uh, recognize the lady? She looked familiar, but I, I couldn't place it. I'm pretty sure she was a staple of a lot of sitcoms and TV shows going all the way back to like the 60s and maybe even the 50s. I want to say I remember actually seeing her on I Love Lucy. Maybe not I Love Lucy. She looked familiar. Mm-hmm. However, you would remember her as uh, Sister Mary Stigmata, the penguin from Blues Brothers. Oh, shit. Also in Blues Brothers. Yep. Wow. Okay. I, that wasn't where I was thinking, but okay. That face now, now that you say it. That's it. Because this, this would have been a good, like, you know, s- uh, six or seven years after Blues Brothers. Yeah, very cool. Nice. One thing, I mean, nowadays, do they even sell those little gun lighters anymore? Because that would freak out anybody. Uh, I have seen gun lighters, but they are um, there for, like, lighting a grill. Okay, yeah. They look like rifles, so that way there's no way to mistake them as <laughs> yeah. <laughs> an actual gun, which is funny because it's like a little Derringer. It's like a little pea shooter. But I feel like, you know, that would totally freak people out nowadays if oh, they yeah, saw yeah. 
like one of those. But also one thing that we don't go back to, Jack, he's a fucking precog. You know, he's he's he, he is dreaming shit. I want to know about his other dreams, because if he nailed this one right on the head, what the hell else has he been dreaming that has come into fruition? Like, I need to know that he should be selling that shit. Yeah. Oh, one other little piece piece of really cool trivia that I only noticed when I was kind of looking up through IMDb's credits in that supermarket scene. I think he was I think he was behind that lady at some point, but and you probably wouldn't recognize him. One of the supermarket customers was Chuck Jones, who Chuck Jones is a legendary animator and director yeah. for Looney Tunes. He created Wile E. Coyote, Roadrunner, Pepe Le Pew, tons more. I never would have recognized it. I, I could not pick Chuck Jones out of a lineup. I just know the name. Yeah, uh, I thought that was particularly interesting that he, they just, I guess for a, maybe he's friends with, or maybe Spielberg. He was like, hey, Chuck, what you got going on? Just come be an extra for us or something. I don't know. Also, the uh, I must not have seen it, but uh, also listed as a supermarket customer was Rance Howard, who was Ron Howard's father. Oh, okay. Yeah, he, I feel like I've seen him in tons of stuff. He he shows up in, in a lot of things. That's cool. Well, very cool. So some definitely some kind of big people just kind of like <laughs> being supermarket customers. So I guess, you know what? And Spielberg was in Blues Brothers too. Mm-hmm. So it's just like... Fuck, there's a whole bunch of Blues Brothers shit going on right here. Joe Dante gets all the cameos. Yeah. yeah. Well, good job, Joe Dante. <laughs> all right. We get a funny little thing of uh, obviously Jack's freaked out. He's like shoveling aspirin into his throat. It's, it's very funny. It's Martin Short being very Martin Short. Right. I need some aspirin. What? Please, I'm begging you for some aspirin! <laughs> He's freaking out. Uh, the girl slaps him. It's just, it's funny. It works really well. For Tuck, the systems aren't working at first you know he kind of has to do this whole reboot and the system is going to like you know re figure out where it is uh and so you know he's trying to get to the optic nerves uh and so tuck you know goes through the nervous system and we get a really good shot and they do this multiple different times where he uses like this laser and he cuts through i don't know like a vein or whatever he kind of you know puts his pod into it and you get a just a great looking visuals of the pod you know kind of flying through like the circulatory circulatory system or, or and stuff like that. and the blood flow and you see like the big blood cells and just it looks fantastic yeah for as old as this movie is the uh i mean and you know it depends on the movie sometimes effects don't hold up but i found pretty much to a t all the effects held up pretty well in this movie they really did like um you know he he shoots out like grappling hooks or you know little things to like kind of attach to parts of the body at some point right and they look it looks fucking good and it looks like gross and it looks like oh man yeah okay i that kind of is what i invent envision the inside of my body might actually look like so another really good scene where tuck ends up attaching a, a sensor into Jack's eyeball from the from the backside. And it's like this little spiky thing that sh- you see shooting into <laughs> the back of the eyeball. And it just, obviously, Jack is like freaking out and he's screaming in pain. Firing optic sensor. Uh, and you know the grocery store boss and, and the girl have no idea what the hell's going on, um, but it's it's funny and it, and you know what it works for Tuck it ends up Tuck being allowed to see out of Jack's eyeball and here he realizes oh shit I'm not in the rabbit at all I'm in a fucking stranger I'm in a man 
I'm in a strange man. I'll be a son of a bitch. I'm in a strange man, surrounded by strangers in a strange room. You know, he has no idea where the hell he is. You know, the doctor's nowhere to be seen. He's he's a little bit freaked out now. Um, and so he realizes he needs to go talk to this guy. And so he heads into the ear. Um, and we see that he attaches this other device into Jack's ear. You know, Jack's feeling that as well. Uh, and it's just kind of, we get funny little bits in between of, you know, Jack reacting to whatever the hell Tuck is doing inside of him. Mm-hmm. And what he's, and, when the when the ear thing happens, I think he's sitting in the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? Because he's there's that little bit where yes. he hears Jack's voice and he keeps asking the people next to him, did you hear that? Did you hear that? Yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. He does, uh, Jack first hears... Uh, the voice and he thinks he's kind of going crazy and then he goes to the doctor and we're at the doctor's office Uh, and we get some more fantastic cameos at the doctor's office Uh, we get uh, Joe Flaherty and Andrew Martin both fellow cast members from SCTV Yes, uh, we'll talk about them a little bit more later since they are in that. But I think obviously that was a good nod, or maybe Martin Short was like, like "Hey guys, come on over. We don't have, you know, we need some more extras, or we got some one lines for you guys." Uh, but I thought that was great. I loved seeing them, particularly because I did my prep of SCTV before. I probably, I don't know if I would have recognized them as much, obviously, right. if I hadn't done my SCTV prep before watching. This. I recognized Joe Flaherty right away. Yes, uh, it was Andrea Martin who was like, "I wonder if she's also in SCTV." And then I watched SCTV yeah. after this, and I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, she's there." Oh yeah, yeah, she's she was in a lot of stuff in SCTV. She was she was heavily used. Yep. Um, but we get to also get a funny line. Uh, just you know, Martin Short. If anybody has seen Martin Short's stuff, uh, you know. One thing that he does is he plays kind of neurotic and then he just kind of goes into like a freaked out, like yelling kind of spree, <laughs> like from from nothing pretty, pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Particularly, I, th- I feel like I see it all a lot on his Jiminy Glick character. Do you remember that thing that oh, yeah. lasted uh, probably lasted way longer than it should have <laughs> <laughs> the whole Jiminy, Jiminy Glick persona? Uh, here we have a funny line where, you know, he's he's freaked out. You know, he's hearing this voice uh, and he screams. Uh, Are you feeling all right? Would I be in a doctor's office if I was feeling all right? Look, pal, we have to talk. No, we don't. Don't what? Don't have to talk. Yes, we do. We do? Do what? Have to talk. Not unless you want to. I'm in here, inside you, inside your body. Oh, God. Somebody help me! I'm possessed! (laughs) You know, and... Yeah, that's good. What also is very funny is the doctor comes in and he kind of responds to that line. Uh, good news, Jack. I think we can rule out demonic possession right off the bat. But this little voice is talking to me. See, that proves it. Demons talk through you, not to you. And I just thought that was a funny line. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Yeah, demons do take over, and uh, that's that's how they do it. So it's probably not a demon, because uh, he obviously doesn't think. You know, he thinks Jack's just fucking nuts because he's seen him a hundred times. Right. We get a, another fun little scene where the doctor is checking his ear, and that's where Tuck is at the moment, and he's kind of blinded uh, at this point, and he says like, "Oh God!" And, and you know, Jack is like, "Oh my God!" Now I'm now I'm hearing him talk about God, and so he thinks it's like this, you know, this obvious voice inside his head, which ultimately ends up like the meaning the doctor is just pushing it aside for it's it ain't shit. <laughs> uh, and so basically, Jack goes home and he's trying to ignore it. He's just trying to you know relax, but. Uh, Tuck is like, no, man, I'm just going to start using my magnetic booster just to prove to you, you, you know, that I'm not fake. Uh, and he ends up setting his TV on fire. And we get a funny little spot where Tuck ends up kind of like overloading his system. Mm-hmm. So as Jack is trying to put out his TV fire simultaneously, Tuck is trying to put out his little fire 
in his tiny pod that's inside Jack. I, I like it. It works well. Yeah. Tuck ends up telling Jack all about the shrinking experiment. Uh, and then this delivery man comes over and he's being kind of weird and sketchy and he asks to use his bathroom and it's like, fucking really, man? <laughs> Tuck kind of realizes that shit's a little too shady uh, and he tells Jack to get the hell out of there. Um, and so the guy pulls a gun on him and kind of uncharacteristically Tuck talks Jack into like grabbing a gun and doing stuff very quickly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's really against Jack's nature to do this, but maybe, I don't know, maybe if I had a, you know, uh, an internal monologue in my head or somebody telling me something to do in my right. head, I would just kind of like do it and just kind of like intuition be like, oh, that must be my voice or it's coming from my head. So I'm just going to do it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you have a gun pointed at you, you might try things you never would have normally. Yeah. Let's go with that. It just felt against character, but you know what? You know, if he if he was against character, if he stayed with character, then he would have just, you know, shrunk and then uh, they would have gotten Tuck and it would have been the end of the movie. So well, I'm glad he didn't. So the movie can go on. <laughs> um, we see that the assassin guy, Mr. Igo, is coming after him. Uh, we kind of really know that he's in trouble. And honestly, at the same time, Tuck is in trouble, too, because Jack has a, you know, increased pulse rate. You know, he's kind of freaking out. Adrenaline's going nuts. Um, and we get really good looking effects. I kind of mentioned them before as Tuck has to like shoot out this grappling hook and kind of winch himself back out um, from, you know, about to be getting trapped and crushed by the heart. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, just a gorgeous looking scene that visually really does stand up. Yeah. Jack goes to the lab, you know, he gets out of there, you know, Tuck tells him about the lab. He, and we see that nerdy guy who we had seen earlier, as well as like the buddy um, from the air force. I think his name is Pete or Peter or something that, like that in this movie. And they're just kind of talking and they, you know, they, they figure out that, okay, Tuck is inside him. Um, and so they head out of the room and Tuck, you know, I guess uses his magnetic frequencies. He just sciences, yeah. I guess. They kind of give him these superpowers, which is kind of strange. <laughs> he can just, well, let me just uh, type in some buttons and I can do pretty much whatever. I can fry your television or listen through walls or whatever. <laughs> he picks up, you know, their reception. We find out a couple different things here. One, we find out that Tuck is going to run out of air by tomorrow morning because, they, you know, they weren't expecting there's not enough. They didn't give enough oxygen for this, you know, to last all that long. Mm-hmm. And also we find out, you know, that there, there there are two chips. With one chip, you can shrink things, but you have to have both chips to be able to, to re-enlarge stuff. Mm-hmm. So one chip is with Tuck, and then the other tip, chip was stolen um, by that group, you know, when they, when they came in uh, and busted up the party earlier. Um, and we also kind of find out that, you know, just from talking, that uh, Pete says, you know, he's willing to sacrifice Tuck, you know, just uh, just let him die inside of him and then we'll get the chip later right and you know tuck hears that and he's like oh fuck that we're gonna sneak out of here um so he guides jack out of there he ends up taking jack's mustang uh and you know sweet looking car one funny thing though jack says hey it's a five-speed stick shift but when jack is driving he doesn't put his hand on a shifter uh he and i and i absolutely saw him drive off and then heard the uh, the gears change, <laughs> so it shifted up. So obviously he lied about it being a, a five speed stick. Right. Fucking a. that's why this movie sucks because <laughs> they lied about actually driving stick. So I, I can't review it anymore, John. I'm so pissed. All right, and that's been our episode. <laughs> no, I don't give a shit about stick shift, but I just I thought it was funny. So they end up going to Tuck's place. Tuck's not feeling good, so he has Jack drink some alcohol. He has him drink SoCo, 
Southern Comfort mm-hmm. for anyone who didn't go to <laughs> college. College, or, or yeah, at least a, a Southern school that you know you always drink SoCo and limes or SoCo and cokes or something. I definitely drink it quite a bit. I drink it plenty actually. I, now I I have not had SoCo in a long time, and I'm okay with that. I'm not sure I ever have. Yeah, I mean I I drank I liked it with SoCo and Coke, uh, but now I just like. Then I shifted over to whiskey and Coke, and then now I just drink whiskey on the rocks when I drink whiskey. That's just kind of, that's my drink, so. Soco, Soco is kind of like a, almost like a whiskey liqueur kind of be like, it's a wannabe whiskey. It's it's kind of uh, sweet. Okay. Um, I can get some, John, if you want to drink it next time you're here. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Anyway, uh, we get a fun little scene where, you know, he has Jack drink this uh, Soco, and as he pours it down, Tuck, uh, you know, is, I guess, in the esophagus, and he gets the liquid uh, he has it going, filling up a little flask because, you know, he carried a flask with him. Of course he did. <laughs> what a fucking drunkard, uh, you know, so he can drink it. And it's uh, okay. You know, it just uh, he's Jack is enabling the alcoholism of Tuck, but, you know, that's okay. Tuck ends up uh, playing a little bit of music for Jack. And, you know, we see that, you know, it's a fun little montage scene here where Jack is like kind of already drunk you know, dancing around, I guess uh, a swig of Soko is all he needs to knock him on his ass. Um, and it's just, he's kind of like just being silly. And he ends up uh, seeing like this picture of Lydia. And we kind of find out, okay, Tuck's sentimental as well. His ex-girlfriend, Meg Ryan, who left him and whatnot. We're not really sure what's what's going to happen there. But we see that uh, Jack then goes to the mirror. And we get a good little scene where Tuck takes a look at Jack for the first time. And kind of like, almost like that... Uh, you know, quantum leap kind of look where right. you have to look at yourself in the mirror <laughs> to see what you look like. But uh, we get now a scene where Jack has to slap himself to kind of sober up because uh, he wants to go kind of talk to Lydia to kind of figure out some shit. Cut to Lydia, who's out at this uh, news organization. Apparently, she's a journalist. I don't think we had any real context for that, but whatever. So she's a journalist. Uh, and they kind of her and like these other people are bringing up this cowboy. And just kind of like, okay, something is going on with this guy, the cowboy. And we f- we then cut to and meet him who is smoking a cigar on a plane, uh, which, you know, he can't do and he has to stop. But the cowboy, played by Robert Picardo, who we've actually talked about before on this podcast, mm-hmm. he was in Explorers, another Joe Dante film. Yep. He did the voices for uh, some of the aliens. He was in the suit, too. Oh, and he was in the suit, too? Okay, cool. I, I, yes, I, I just forgot that. I knew he did the voices, so cool. He's in the suit as well. Uh, and, and a lot of people might know him from Star Trek Voyager. Yeah. I think he played the Doctor in that one. That was probably probably his biggest yeah. role. He is cool as shit. I like him in this movie. <laughs> he's so fucking good as the cowboy. Uh, I've met him a couple of times. He's a really he's a really cool guy. Very nice. You know, if you, if you go to any convention that he's in, he's very approachable and, and very conversational. Nice. That's good to hear. Uh, Jack goes to Lydia, who kind of realizes that, you know, why the fuck are you wearing Tuck's jacket? Why are you wear, driving Tuck's car? Uh, and they kind of have a conversation. And obviously he's having trouble convincing her about what the hell's going on. He ends up going to the bathroom and he's kind of we get a funny scene of him. Uh, you know, he's talking to Jack as he's peeing. But it, it looks like he's talking to himself and it's looking like he's talking to his penis, I think, <laughs> at this scene. It's just, it works. And so he, he goes back to, you know, because him and Lydia are at this restaurant is, talking. Is that where we get the line where the guy's like, play with it, pal. Don't talk to it. Yeah, yes, that's exactly it. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and so 
he comes back and then all of a sudden like the assassin there Igo is there and we get like a, a little standoff here Lydia apparently has a taser and you know she tells the guy this taser is 20,000 volts and will incapacitate you for 15 minutes. Uh, I don't think anyone told her that's not how tasers work. <laughs> now, granted, she might have had the volts right because I kind of like looked up to see exactly how many volts like tasers were. And that was kind of like in the range. Uh-huh. But tasers don't work to where they actually incapacitate you. How they work is specifically they shoot out, you know, little probes. And that's that is how it works on this one because she ends up shooting you know, Jack's uh, uh, grocery store badge, I think, at this one. And so the probes stick in you, and then you get the electric current. Right. But the electric current, as long as the electric current is is going and, like, you you know, you have a trigger on the taser to control that, you know, your bodily functions or, like, your muscles just don't fucking move. Right. And you basically just fall over and you can't do shit. Now, it doesn't continuously incapacitate you after, unless you are actually sending the charge. Right. So, like, if you're not sending the charge, then you can just pull out the fucking probes and then, you know, continue up and you're, and you're fine. Um, but, you know, if you're, not, if you're not getting shocked, then it's not going to be doing anything. Right. Anyway, I, I <laughs> just wanted to, I wanted to call bullshit. Okay. Okay. I know you're like, whatever, Adam, it's a fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. So, I'll believe Tuck got shrunk down into a little, you know cell-sized mini person uh, before I believe that tasers work uh, with an extra time of 15 minutes to capacitate people. I'm just saying, John. Uh, you, you've got your priorities. Uh, yeah, I've got my priorities straight. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're somewhere. So, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I go kidnaps Jack uh, and he puts him in the back of, the, of a meat truck. And a funny little sign that I never noticed before, but like the meat truck was called Berman's and it had a little logo that said uh, serving the Bay Area since the quake. <laughs> I'm like, okay, <laughs> a little, a little, you know, West Coast earthquake humor. I just thought, <laughs> thought that was humorous. <laughs> anyway, uh, Jack gets taken to see the red haired doctor who we met earlier. Uh, and then also this older guy who we find out to be Scrimshaw, who is obviously the main bad guy. And Scrimshaw kind of tells him, you know, about his plan, you know, that he wants to, you know, he, he wants to make money and weapons. It used to be all about, you know, the atom bomb, you know, and then chemical warfare or whatever. Right. You know, right now, real weaponization is all about miniaturization, John. That's <laughs> that's the new wave. The funny thing about that uh, speech was on the day they shot it, they, re- they got there and realized that the speech had not been written. The only thing that was written in the script was uh, Tuck's sort of voiceover, okay. sort of amping him up. And so the the director and I think someone else, maybe the maybe one of the writers that was on set, had to really quickly write out the speech <laughs> on a piece of paper. And then after they shot it, they promptly lost it. So there's no actual record of what the words were he said, <laughs> other than what you can hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what that's what it's all about. Miniaturiz- miniaturization, John. That's where modern warfare is going. Mm. Apparently, Lydia was following the truck, and we see her kind of back behind it. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, Tuck kind of like hypes up Jack and is like, all right, man, we're going to get the fuck out of here. You can get out those back doors. You can shove this old man uh, who was like, you know, I think he was 73 when he shot this. So he was definitely older. You know, I think Martin Short could have taken him. Uh, <laughs> so he amps him up. Uh, and so he kind of like busts out the door and he's all freaking out because he's dangling now from the back of the meat truck. Lydia ends up driving up to kind of like save him and he kind of jumps on the hood and the top of the car uh, and he kind of ends up falling into the Mustang and they get away. Mm-hmm. It was it was a funny scene. It works really well. 
Uh, it's definitely one that I kind of remember of him, like, you know, having to fall and get into the car. Right. Uh, Lydia ends up taking Jack to this hotel. Um, so she's really focused on this cowboy, um, you know, whoever the hell this cowboy is. We kind of find out that, you know, he's a mysterious, he's kind of like a, a weapon, he's a black market dealer, like a black market weapons dealer, mm-hmm. something like that. And he's also very mysterious. That's what, that's what we know about yep. him. Uh, and we kind of see that, you know, Jack has got a little thing for Lydia. You know, he thinks she's cute. And Tuck is now getting a little bit jealous. <laughs> and, you know, he's kind of, I mean, honestly, I don't blame him. You know, Meg Ryan is adorable yeah. in this movie. So it's like, yeah. So he's kind of like, all right, maybe I can, maybe I can get something with this girl. So they end up following the cowboy to this dance club. You know, funny enough, Jack's coworker, Wendy, is there and she kind of like, once and we got a funny line. I do like this line where she basically says, "You're probably the only person at the supermarket that I haven't slept with, and it's like you're the only person that I'm even partially attracted to." Wow, <laughs> that really tells you something about this girl. Yep. But uh, so it ends up Lydia is dancing with the cowboy, and Jack's dancing with uh, Wendy, and we get this really creepy line from the cowboy, and I think it's very funny, uh, where he says, "Women." Love me, but you know that. But for serious, two things you want to know about me. One, I make love with my boots on, and two... And then he leans in and whispers into Meg Ryan's ear, and you can see she is, like, fully creeped out by it, and it kind of rolls her eyes, uh, but we don't we don't really find out what it is, but you can, you can imagine it's something dirty. Yep. But uh, she, Lydia, ends up letting the cowboy take her back to her hotel. Jack and Tuck, you know, drive separately, and they're kind of fighting about Lydia, you know, about like, you know, oh, maybe I have a chance with her. And he's like, no, you don't, you fucking idiot, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Jack heads to uh, the cowboy's room and, you know, kicks the door open, and Lydia's not there, but... We do see Robert Picardo in his underwear and his cowboy hat and boots, which is maybe the image that I remember one of the most famous images of the movie to me uh, is the cowboy in his underwear. And he's just like, oh, hey, Jack, what's up? Uh, But I guess I guess he wasn't feeling too bad about getting burned from Lydia, who wasn't there with him. Right. And Jack lays him out with a single punch. So, you know, obviously he's got some, you know, extra adrenaline going through him, which I guess Tuck, Tuck kind of like. Kind of gives him some of that adrenaline at some point. And anyway, Jack ties up the cowboy and Tuck has him do this facial analysis. Um, and then he ends up taking Jack's face. And in one of the more memorable spots <laughs> from me uh, in this film is, you know, having Jack's face being reconstructed, reconstructed into the cowboy's face. Lydia's there and she's freaking out a bit. Uh, and obviously, I mean, the effects look really good. The facial things that Martin Short is doing. And I'm not sure if he's doing them himself or what the hell else is going on with it. Right. Um, it looks like they're, you know, just blowing like a big ass, like, you know, thing of air into his mouth kind of puffs up everything. Right. And then like, then he starts spinning his head really fast and like shit going crazy. And he ends up looking just like the cowboy. It's, it looks really cool. Except the hair, the hair stays the same, except for the hair, the hair and the voice, you know, which I'm glad a lot of places like, you know, would, doesn't do it properly but they they you know everything else is jack <laughs> uh scrimshaw then has his men pick up the cowboy apparently like they're in cahoots and they're they're good old friends so then now jack is there uh with 
the cow or with Scrimshaw, but he looks like the cowboy. Uh, and of course, he's acting all weird. Um, and you know, Lydia's with them. You know, they're they're trying to use this to their advantage to figure out what the hell partly her story, and then also get the microchip back that they had stole because they need that to re-enlarge Tuck. Mm-hmm. So that's where this is all going. And it works out perfectly because, you know, the cowboy is pretty much there to buy the, the microchips. And either they want to, uh, Scrimshaw wants to sell them to him, you know, so they can or the, so they can sell them uh, and, you know, make a massive profit off this shit. But uh, as Jack slash the cowboy are kind of acting weird, his gold tooth falls out. And Scrimshaw kind of like realizes uh, that shit's going off. And he's like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to fuck with him. You know, I think, I think something's crazy. So I'm going to like test his pain. Apparently there's this whole thing, you know, that I guess the, I guess the cowboy has great pain tolerance, but this ends up making Jack's heart rate go up. Like, you know, he's freaking out like crazy right now. And his face just starts going haywire. (laughs) And I guess because of the increased blood pressure, uh, he can't, you know, keep the, uh, changed muscles in his face from just going nuts. And here's really, really where the special effects makeup team killed it and did some very interesting, you know, different looking models uh, and, you know, stuff with the faces. Because as he's like freaking out, you know, obviously Scrimshaw and the doctor and Lydia are all like, what the hell's going on? And he's like, it looks really, really good though, honestly. It looks, I mean, it it did remind me very much of like Total Recall's kind of face stuff too. Right, exactly. His face ends up going back to normal, and they try to escape, but they end up getting caught, uh, and they're locked up in this cellar now. Um, so, you know, Lydia, at this point, she's had enough, and she's like, you know, I want to know what the hell's going on, because she doesn't even really know the whole story. Uh, and so Jack tells her, and of course, she doesn't she doesn't believe everything. Uh, and so Tuck tells her through Jack uh, by the time, you know, that she left, and this kind of convinces her. And Jack, at this point, you know, he still kind of has a thing for Lydia. You know, he, he likes her, and so he wants to uh, have a moment alone with her, and he gives her this kiss, uh, which you would think Tuck would, I don't know, I don't know why he was just hanging out in Jack's saliva at this <laughs> right. point. There was really no setup for that, but apparently he was, because as Jack and Lydia swap spit, Tuck goes into Lydia, which works really well with kind of how they wrote the story of Jack asking for radio silence at this point, so he can kind of talk to Lydia himself. Um, and so we just, you know, Jack's not hearing Tuck anyway at there anymore, really at this moment. So Jack is now taken to the lab and they want to retrieve the other chip. And so what they decide is the best plan of action is, all right, we're going to send in that assassin guy in this separate <laughs> little kind of death machine thing. Uh, and we're going to miniaturize him and put him into Jack. We see Tuck now, you know, none of his systems are working kind of, again, what he had before. And so he's exploring around. Uh, and what he ends up finding is a little baby fetus, a little ba- a little baby tuck, little tuck junior, possibly. I don't know how he made <laughs> it from her mouth to her yeah. uterus and back so fast. You're right. You know what? He, yeah, he was in her spit. And then he was just trying to be like, oh, where am I? And then, yeah, he got down to that uterus super fast and super easy. Right. Uh, unless babies start growing in the mouth. I don't really, <laughs> I don't, I don't think I took health. So that could have been it. But yeah, no, it is, it's, 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 thinking about it, that is like, you know what? Yeah, there's no way he could have got, or there's a way, but he did it really fast. And, you know, he didn't go through, really any bo- other body parts that didn't seem very quickly. And there, there would have so. been no reason for him to go down that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's still a cute little scene, honestly, because um, he sees a fetus and he's all like, oh, my God, I'm going to be a dad. Well, I don't know. You don't know. 
she might have banged somebody else after you, buddy. So, fun fact, I actually just looked this up, even though you kind of hinted at it earlier. I guess you didn't know. Dennis Quaid and Meg Ryan were married. <laughs> oh, they were they really? Yes, uh, from uh, 1991 to 2001. Wow, so I wonder I wonder if they did have a kid together and that person's going to end up ruling the world. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Uh, that's great. Well, you know what? They were a good-looking couple, so that makes me happy. I'm good for them. <laughs> but, uh, all right, Lydia uh, ends up getting out, you know, from her capture. She's a quick cookie, uh, and she can, ends up getting this, getting this gun from the guy. And, you know, she goes to where Jack is, and, you know, she pulls the gun on them, and... She ends up sending the bad people into the little miniaturizer, which, as they're trying to get out the chip, they accidentally set the miniaturization to 50%, and it goes off the whole kind of light show and whatnot, and so we know that those the bad people are miniaturized to 50%. At this point, Tuck is still inside Lydia, uh, and he's in her ear, and he's trying to, like, you know, he real obviously he realizes that he's inside Lydia after seeing the baby, mm-hmm. and so he then goes from down from the uterus all the way up to her ear uh, pretty quickly and plays uh, Sam Cooke's Cupid, you know, their song, um, to try and, like, let her know, hey, shit, I'm in you. Uh, and we get kind of in between this stuff a, a funny little spot where this one bad guy, just kind of like a henchman, comes up, and Jack, still thinking Tuck's inside of him and going to give him, you know, some extra boost of adrenaline uh, to go attack this dude, ends up kind of punching him and it's funny uh, but then he realizes you know once uh, Meg Ryan says oh wait it's our song I'm hearing I'm hearing our song what Tuck's in me and, he, <laughs> and he's, play, he's playing our song and then Jack's like oh shit loses all his <laughs> momentum uh, but you know what we do find out it really shows that uh, Jack had it in him you know in, in himself the entire time <laughs> Yeah. Um, we also end up seeing, they get out of that situation. We see the bad guys and we kind of like see like little bits and pieces of them. We kind of see like their feet and they are, that they're miniaturized mm-hmm. and they kind of end up getting inside the back of a, of a car. Jack and Lydia, you know, they've realized what's happened now. Uh, Tuck's plan of getting her attention worked. And so they make out again. Uh, and they there's a lot of tongue in that second time. Yeah. You know, you can, you, you, they hold, they hold that tongue, you know, the mouths open for a good little bit. Uh, and so now Tuck is back inside Jack. Then, as they're escaping in the car, a very funny little scene of 50% size Doctor and Scrimshaw are attacking Lydia and Jack in the car. Uh, and did you notice when Scrimshaw first, like, puts his arms around Jack to, like, cover his Jack's eyes, his arms are, like, way too long for yeah. his body. <laughs> yeah. It's not the best puppet that they could have made. Right. Because there's no way his arms would have actually been that long. But it doesn't matter. It's it's funny. As they're battling the half-sized bad guys, the super, super miniature-sized bad guy finds Tuck's pod, and now they have an entire battle inside of Jack. And, and Tuck's oxygen gets too low, uh, and there's just a whole kind of, like, chase scene and fight scene going on um jack and lydia end up getting away from scrimshaw and the doctor uh and tuck and the assassin end up kind of going down into uh the esophagus and the stomach and we get just really good effects going on here as they're battling inside you know this human body um and so tuck needs stomach acid and so he's kind of like he ends up freaking out jack by telling him he's got a tumor. <laughs> That's not really a nice thing to do, but to to build up his like, you know, his his ass, his body acid or his stomach acid and Tuck ends up dropping the pod into 
into the stomach acid of Jack, mm-hmm. and which I thought was kind of strange, only because it's like, okay, so that acid eats up the guy very quickly, but we don't really, go, I guess it just didn't really do anything to the pod, because we don't we don't see the pod like escaping it or anything it's just like the ne- we kind of cut away into this next scene and then we kind of come back and tucks out he's out of the stomach and i guess it's i guess he's fine yep it just i don't know i just thought that was kind of strange cuz i would feel that the stomach acid should be dangerous for him too but especially since uh you know that guy had a, a screwdriver going through the glass window so so shouldn't some of that acid go inside of the pod I chose to ignore that. <laughs> okay, fine. I I, I thought got, I thought the same problem, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna let it run. Yeah, yeah. You gotta suspend your disbelief. That's uh, that's that's part of movies. And right now, I'm I'm having trouble doing it. But um, <laughs> in a kind of weird thing, Tuck's friend Peter uh, saw them as they were kind of like having their car chase scene. He gets Jack and Lydia, and you know, takes them to the lab. And Tuck right now is in the lungs and they have Jack sneeze out Tuck to kind of just try and get him out super fast. And Jack ends up sneezing onto the nerdy guy's glasses uh, and they get Tuck into the enlargement thing uh, and they put the chip back in. I always liked the scene of when they were trying to put the chip back in and the arm is going super slow and then the nerdy guy just kind of grabs it and shoves it in and kind of gets shocked. Um, whatever it is like that slow ass moving robotic arm. I always, I always thought was funny Yeah. for some reason. I have no idea why, uh, as they're booting up the computer, it's coded, you know, a, a, for Alice in Wonderland, you know, like the drink me, eat me thing. Right. What is this? Eat me, drink me. What? It's from the exorcist. I think. What? No, no, Alice in Wonderland. Alice in Wonderland. Yes, because she she drank something big and then she something small. Was it the other way around? No, what? no, I don't know. I, I pick one. And they have to remember which is which uh, to kind of like resize him. And I'm like, wait a minute, aren't they in their own lab? Right. Isn't this like they didn't change the microchip or they, the microchip didn't get adjusted? You know, they just put the chip into their own system. Why the fuck is it in this code for Alice in Wonderland that they have to figure out? They don't need to decipher it. This is their own goddamn place, John. Why the hell was it coded for Alice in Wonderland? Why did I don't know. That did seem unnecessary. It did. It was completely unnecessary, but whatever. I'm trying trying to disbelieve here. <laughs> they end up enlarging Tuck just in time. You know, he the oxygen didn't run out, uh, and we get some good successful music going on. Yay. Uh, and so as he gets out, Tuck and Lydia kiss, and, you know, Jack is seeing this and he kind of now realizes that he and Lydia are never going to be a thing. And, you know, he kind of goes through that and then kind of realizes, OK, you know, they're they have true love. So I'll just uh, I'll be OK with it. Right. Uh, and then we cut to uh, the wedding of Tuck and Lydia, who Lydia's not even showing yet. Right. Um, we know she's pregnant, but she's not even showing. So they must have done that that wedding ASAP or waited until after the child or waited until you're right or waited until after the child. It could be neither or probably not. You're probably right. I'm probably right, but yeah, it just, yeah. Uh, Tuck and Lydia headed, you know, into a limo, and the limo driver is the cowboy who we kind of notice. And Jack looks him straight in the, you know, in the face and, you know, hands him a tip. And then it was, it's not until a little bit afterwards that he kind of realizes it's the uh, cowboy. But the cowboy is there because they notice that Tuck. Uh, has the microchips on him. He was using those two microchips that they were kind of going after the whole time as cufflinks because he's a dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and how the fucking, you know, lab wouldn't lock that shit down and and not let anyone even tuck 
touch the goddamn microchips again. Like, they're stupid as hell. Right. And so they drive off, and we get a funny little scene. We see that, you know, scrim- 50% size Scrimshaw and the doctor are in the trunk of the limo as the cowboy, and the, or as they drive off, Jack comes to the realization that that was the cowboy. He kind of, like, changes his life right now, and he's like, you know what? Basically, he does, like, the half-bake, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you, you're cool, fuck you, I'm out of here. Right. Uh, kind of thing to everybody, and I, I do really like the scene. I like the way that he does it. Doc, I'm cured. Wendy, not a chance. And Mr. Wormwood, thank you. And I quit. Uh, and he's like, all right, fuck this Jack Putter to the rescue. And he jumps in the Mustang and we hear Rod Stewart's twisting the night away as we assume Jack is going to go save the day. Yep. Somewhere up in New York West, where the people are so gay, twisting the night away. Uh, we don't get a sequel to this movie that I know of, but you don't really need it. It's just kind of a, a good little comedy adventure yeah uh, and so you just kind of like you, you you assume that they're going off to another adventure yeah a long little um breakdown that we just did but uh let's let's go ahead and dive into our thoughts on the movie and i'll let you start i really love this movie i was excited to uh, i was excited to rewatch it uh, and i actually asked my wife uh, if she wanted to watch it with me she said no i watched it recently and, and i didn't think it held up and so i was already like oh great this is not going to hold up I thought she was wrong. <laughs> I loved every bit of this movie. I loved the humor. Um, I thought the visual effects still stood up. All the acting was great. You know, it's just, it's a fun movie. It's its not, you know, it's not supposed to be something deep. It's just, it's a fun adventure. Uh, I'm pretty much on board with you. I thought the humor really held up. You know, this movie is cheesy. It's silly. You know, it's nerdy. It's, it's kind of hokey. But it's also funny and it's cute. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of movie that, you know, this is not, I, I don't want to sit down and like really don't need to break it apart because when you break apart the science of it, you know, it's going to be a little bit, <laughs> it's not going to hold up. Right. But, um, you know, the effects really hold up in my opinion. Uh, and I really liked it. And I ended up watching this. I was over with my in-laws over the weekend and I was like, shit, I need to watch this movie. I haven't watched it yet. Hey guys, what are you doing? I need you to watch Space with me. They're like, okay, I've never seen it. Uh, and they all really liked it. You know, they're, uh, except for my wife, she didn't give a fuck about it. She, <laughs> she, she was just like, oh my God, is it over yet? But her in-laws who are, you know, much nicer people uh, actually appreciated it. You know, they're, they're the kind of people that I go to and like my wife, leaves us alone and I go and play like board games with them. And you know, they, they like me because I will go play board games and interact. And my wife is like, you know, a cat and she's just like, fucking don't talk to me. Don't touch me. Uh, <laughs> kind of thing. She hates everything. She hated this movie, but they're her family. You know, they're sane, fun people. And so they appreciated it. And they, they thought, I mean, they hadn't seen it and it came from the eighties and they thought it was, it was cute. And it was, and it still works today. I felt, and I, I really liked it. I would show this movie to anybody who kind of had, like you know, a little cheesy sense of humor. Right. If they can handle that, then I think they can handle this movie. So you know, I remember being a definite fan of it when I was a kid, and I'm really happy to say that absolutely holds up, and I still am a fan of this movie. All right. Good job, Joe Dante. Good job, Steven Spielberg. You know, you haven't done much in your career, but Inner Space <laughs> is is one of them. <laughs> Are you saying Steven Spielberg hasn't done much in his career? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. I'm saying he did. He he did at least. At least he's got inner space. That's true. If he's got nothing else, he's got inner space. Yeah, 
Uh, you know, go uh, put it on his uh, tombstone. At least he did inner space. <laughs> And now we are going to review SCTV, which stands for Second City Television. Uh, this is named after the Second City Improv Group. Uh, this sh- show ran from 1976 to 1984, kind of like on and off for a little bit. Uh, it had a total of six seasons, 135 episodes. Uh, at first, like they had a run that kind of was called SCTV, and then it had another little run afterwards called SCTV Network, and then another little run after that called SCTV Channel. But it pretty much had all like like the same kind of players in it. For anyone out there who doesn't know what Second City is, it's an improvisational comedy troupe and enterprise. Um, really, they're best known for just continuous, just big name kind of people kind of going through uh, their different groups. You know, they're they're based out of Chicago, but they also have uh, training programs in Toronto and Los Angeles. SCTV was heavily from their Toronto group. Mm-hmm. And this show was a very Canadian show. Second City used to have a, um, a little improvisatory Vegas show here. It was in a small, ah. small little um, theater, and I think the Flamingo. And we went a few times. They had a couple ones where they actually had skits ready where they would do. And then if you went to the late show, the whole show was improv. Oh, nice. I've, I've gone to at least one in Los Angeles, and yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, I remember I, I took our cousin Matt to one mm. not long after he, he moved out here to Vegas, and uh, I just remember we actually sat in the front, and it was mm-hmm. it was during the improv show, and this one lady kind of picked him out of the crowd, <laughs> and uh, was she was improving a song, and I don't remember what the song was about. I just remember she walked over behind him, grabbed his head, and shoved him into her boobs. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he hated that, knowing Matt. I actually think he was. I think he was a little uh, embarrassed just because it came out of okay. nowhere. <laughs> okay, that's very cool. And just a little bit of the history: uh, Second City opened the uh, Second City Theater opened in 1959. In general, you know, this Second City has become one of the most influential and prolific kind of comedy theaters, you know, in the world. Really, yeah. You know, it's it's been a starting point for notable comedians. You know, and award-winning actors, directors, just tons of fantastic people. People who actually, some of them who were on SCTV, but these are some huge names here, have gone through Second City. Uh, Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, John Candy, Dan Aykroyd, Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Ryan Stiles, Mike Myers, Steve Carell, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, Stephen Colbert, and just tons others. Second City is really is a great breeding ground for comedic actors. Mm -hmm. For the different years of SCTV, the the main players included Rick Moranis, who we've talked about in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You know, if you don't know him from that, you probably know him from Ghostbusters. Dave Thomas was another big player. He's best known for SCTV and the spinoff movie that they had, Strange Brew. Mm-hmm. where they uh, played the characters uh, from the Great White North. Joe Flaherty, as you had already mentioned, from S- he was he you know cameoed in Inner Space. Um, he's very heavily known on SCTV. And what I think, you know, he's done a lot of like little comedic parts in a lot of movies. Yes. Probably what I remember Joe Flaherty from the most is Happy Gilmore. He played the guy who would always say, Jackass, <laughs> and, and it would fuck up. Uh, it would fuck up Happy Gilmore's uh, swing or something. Right. Hey Gilmore, you suck, you jackass. Martin Short was in SCTV as we already mentioned. 
John Candy. And we haven't, well, we did do, John John Candy was in Home Alone. Yeah. Uh, but we haven't done like a specific John Candy movie yet. You know, the ones that we would probably eventually get to were Uncle Buck or Summer Rental, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Cool Runnings down the line. But uh, he's, you know, he's a an, another great comedic actor who gone too soon. Eugene Levy was in SCTV. And most people or a lot of people know him probably from Best in Show or a lot of like the Christopher Guest films. But actually, I don't know, maybe, maybe the most people know him from all those damn American Pie movies yeah, that he was in. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Yeah, like, he was um, Jim's dad mm-hmm. in in the American Pie movies. And even though, like, Jim, played by Jason Biggs, stopped being in, like, the movies, I don't know, like, halfway through, Eugene Levy kept showing up in, in every single movie. I'm pretty <laughs> sure he's the only one who has appeared in all of them. Probably. Uh, and then Catherine O'Hara is also from SCTV. We've talked about her multiple times in Home Alone and Beetlejuice, um, but Catherine O'Hara has been in tons of stuff, you know, similar stuff, anything Christopher Guest nowadays as well she's been in. Right. Uh, and, and then the other major player is uh, Andrea Martin, um, who we saw in Inner Space. And I guess besides this, she's probably best known. Uh, she's, uh, I think, one of the aunts in uh, My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah. And she was also in the sequel. And then she also had a, did a voice uh, in Jimmy Neutron. Oh. Pretty pretty big voice on that as well. Okay. <laughs> Clouds create rain, Carl. Um, well, when the clouds get very sad, they cry. No, Carl, Jimmy! Uh, so this show had just, t- so it was sketch comedy. It's, you know, uh, just very similar to Saturday Night Live. It was the Canadian version of Saturday Night Live, basically. Um, you know, you get tons of different sketch sketches going on uh there were a few of them that really became very popular as i kind of mentioned before uh the great white north which had a whole spin-off movie called strange brew um wha- which starred rick moranis and dave thomas they played bob and doug mckenzie brothers and really those two characters became like honestly icons of canadian culture <laughs> <laughs> good day welcome to the great white north uh canadian corner I'm Bob McKenzie. This is my brother, Doug. How's it going, eh? And today's topic, what was it? Uh, how well, come Americans yeah, right, have, right, like, right. twist-off beer cap? Yeah, okay. And so, like, Canadians don't. Yeah, they were, I mean, they were very cliche parody kind of, you know, caricatures of Canadian people. Uh, and apparently it started off as a kind of a sarcastic response to CBC's network uh, that they were requesting to, to show, you know, two minutes of more identifiable Canadian content right they wanted the show to be a little bit more canadian and so SCTV was like fuck that we'll give you super canadian <laughs> <laughs> so uh which honestly it took off really really well ed grimley is another character martin short had that character uh he was kind of like this weird oddball man child he kind of had this big alfalfa looking hair spike right in the front you know and he was kind of like this just weird awkward kind of strange dude very just very martin short the true story of billy the kid starring ed grimley Oh, there's an entire posse out there. They seem upset about something, I must say. <laughs> well, at least they're giving that impression, you know. Um, and honestly, that character is the only character that has been on both Saturday Night Live and SCTV. Mm-hmm. So, uh, which he was a reoccurring character on both because eventually Martin Short went over to SC, uh, Saturday Night Live for a bit as well. Right. And, you know, I don't have a bunch to say about this show. Like, those were the sketches that I kind of remembered the most. Um, You know, this stuff was pretty funny. 
but like I didn't really watch SCTV as a kid. You know, I probably saw some of it here or there. Um, what about you? Did you? I mean, did you did you recall it much? Yeah, I definitely watched uh, reruns of it, probably on like Nick at Night or something like that. Uh, I definitely don't think I watched it while it was live. Well, I definitely didn't watch it when it was live, but I, I kind of do remember watching little bits of it here and there and actually really enjoying it. Going back and watching it, they were kind of hit or miss. Some of the some of the references were dated because of the time and yeah. some of the jokes were a little, they were hit or miss. So sometimes I was enjoying it. Sometimes I was bored. Um, I Honestly, a lot like Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah very hit <laughs> or miss on Saturday Night, for some of the Saturday Night Live stuff as well. I, I agree. The only thing that this had going against for me was I didn't have – I don't have, like, the nostalgic love for SCTV that I do Saturday Night Live. Right. A lot of, like, the sketches, I don't – I can't draw back and be like, oh, I remember that one. That one's funny. I ended, I, I ended up watching uh, – on YouTube, I found, like, a you know, like a two-hour um, best of SCTV. I was like, oh, perfect. Yeah. This is just a sketch show, so I can watch the best of. And honestly, I don't know, at least, like, <laughs> 85% of them, I was like – this isn't that funny. Right. You know, a lot of it being probably because they're dated. Right. And, you know, the majority of the enjoyment I got out of it was seeing, okay, uh, I get to see really young Catherine O'Hara, you know, just being, you know, doing her thing. Right. Or Eugene Levy doing her thing, or his thing, or John Candy, you know, like, I, I just, I'm like, oh, I'm really happy to see John Candy because, you know, you can't see him anymore. Right. But when it came to the majority of the sketches, I just really didn't laugh at these skits. Um, I mean, I'm sure for its time, it was fantastic. But revisiting it, I, and I really don't have anything else to say about the show. Right. Other than, you know, it's a bunch of sketch comedy stuff. And if you liked it as as a kid or if you're a Canadian, you know, go watch a day. Uh, but <laughs> for me, it just wasn't my nostalgia. I respect it and I absolutely see understand like you know what it did for the careers of some some of the my favorite you know comedic actors right. and I'm so happy for that but as a show itself you know I'm, I'm not really digging it well and I also I've gone back and watched some of that older Saturday Night Live skits you know like mm-hmm. basically basically everything from when they started till about up to Eddie Murphy which was like 80 80 81 82 somewhere around there those first 5 years it's very 70s humor it is and it's very similar to SCTV like i i'll watch some of that old stuff and i'll be like it's really not that funny yeah. it's really was the 80s where i think the the humor really started to up and amp and I, really it starts with Eddie Murphy that's really when it began you know really began to get really really good so I I can I can see the connection between the two, uh, but yeah, I, largely I was like, mm, these really aren't as funny as I remember. Yeah, fair enough. So, all right, SCTV, yeah, yeah, meh. <laughs> but we respect you. We still respect you. We'll still respect you in the morning. <laughs> This episode of the Blast From Our Past podcast is not brought to you by Clearly Canadian. From the heart of Canada's wilderness comes a pure, sparkling sensation in seven natural and wild fruit flavors. Clearly Canadian. Let the water take you there. All right, and now we're going to do the casting portion of the show. As we mentioned at the top, we're going to be recasting Inner Space. Uh, I was a little bit apprehensive about this one just because I thought it was a little bit difficult finding people who I immediately thought of 
that sort of matched these roles. Mm-hmm. So I had to do a little bit of thinking about it. Uh, there's quite a few characters that we're going to do. Well, obviously, we're going to do Tuck. We're going to do Jack Putter. We're going to do Lydia. We're also going to do Victor Scrimshaw and Dr. Margaret. And just for fun, we threw in the Cowboy and Mr. Iko. They're not huge roles, but they are, they're in there enough. And they're, they're kind of fun roles to, to cast, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree with you, what you mentioned before. I'm honestly kind of surprised they haven't tried to remake this one. Yeah. This is one where I'd be torn. One, I, you know, you leave the original alone. But at the same time, the original wasn't seen by a lot of people. You Maybe you put a big name behind it, get a, get, you know, tighten up the story a little bit. Maybe you can make a really good version out of this. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we'll kind of uh, we'll work backwards from the list and we'll start with Mr. Igo. Before we start, I do want to say I like to be confident in my casting and I think I have some good picks. I don't think I have anything that's going to wow you. Okay. I, I agree. I mean, I don't know. I, this isn't kind of the casting that is like, wow, you're, this isn't wow kind of movie right. casting anyway. It's not going to be like, oh man, you really broke the bank on that one. Or like, this is a big dramatic role or like, this is really going to go. It's like, no, it's, it's interspace. It's a silly, goofy movie. So you could do whatever. Now, that being said, I really, really like my casting and I think I nailed it on the head. Okay. So, um, you know, I, I, I'm going to step aside and be like, you know, really hoping <laughs> that you are like, you won that one, Adam, you won that one, Adam. And then by the end of this, it's just like, it's, we basically both decide my movie's the one to make. <laughs> so we'll see. Now I'm just going to, now I'm just going to shit all <laughs> yeah, over it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Fine. Since uh, since you're a little bit more confident, I'll go first. Uh, we'll start with Mr. Igo. I think I probably cast a little more A-list for a Mr. Igo part than needed. Mm, mm-hmm. But I thought, uh, you know, I, I wanted somebody who looked intimidating. You know what? Maybe it'd be an easy little paycheck for him. I actually went with Liev Schreiber. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely a pretty big name. Which is which is funny because Liev Liev Schreiber is really actually known for his voice. Yeah, Mister Igo doesn't say a damn thing throughout the movie. <laughs> You're right, he doesn't. But he does still look good, and he's got that show like Ray Donovan. Yeah, uh, and he's like a badass, like I think assassin in that one kind of thing. I've never seen it, but I need to. He looks intimidating, so I think he does. You know, if if he just wanted, uh, if he maybe we don't know, maybe Liev Schreiber has a love for this movie. Maybe he has a nostalgic yeah. love for this movie. He's like, you know what? I'll play that part. I don't. I don't. You know. I don't need to be the star. Yeah. I just went in. It may be. Maybe. All right. Not bad. I, I like. I like Leo Trevor. I would. He could do pretty much anything. So I'm. I'm. I'm happy enough with that one. I went very much on the look mm-hmm. of Mr. Igo of like Vernon Wells. Uh, I saw him and I just. I. I only immediately only thought of this one actor. Um, and now he's out of work uh, because Game of Thrones is done. And he's done comedy kind of stuff before, and so I'm sure he can do this as well. Uh, he's best known as the Hound. Uh, I went with Rory McCann. He just looks like Mr. Igo to me, and I'm like, you know what? I, I think he's the who do it. Adam, you are not going to fucking believe this. Up mm. up until yesterday, I had Rory McCann, and then I switched it to ah. Liam Schreiber. <laughs> should have kept it. See, and then I, I would have been like, oh my god, I should have kept it. Your casting was perfect, but oh well. <laughs> I I just I went over the casting like this morning or last night, and I was like, uh. I like Rory McCann, but I'm not sure this is going to work. Okay, I'm going to switch it to Leo Schreiber. No joke. <laughs> no joke. He was the first one I cast. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. It's it just he looks so much like him, honestly. He, he, he kind of does. does. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right. I'm going to defer to that one only because that would have been my choice, too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you thought about it, so yeah. Uh, That's good. All right. So to the cowboy. So I went with an interesting, slightly, I don't know, 
this one might be my kind of more unexpected one, possibly. And I have my reasons for choosing him, but I'm not going to really... I'll talk about him when I talk a little bit later about one of the other characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I wanted somebody who could be funny. Um, The cowboy uh, uh, is not from the U.S. I forget. Do they say where he's from? Uh, I don't. I don't remember well, he's, that. If he's got an accent, so he's not from the U.S., but he likes cowboy culture. I decided I'm going to pick someone who could be uh, not from the U.S. and still would be kind of interesting to have them as cowboy culture. So I went with uh, comedian Asif Manvi. Okay, I've definitely seen him, but he was uh, was he a correspondent for um, Daily Show at some point? Yes, yes, he was. All right, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I haven't really seen him doing any acting stuff, but he's he was funny on the Daily Show. So that's definitely possible. I'm not going to shit on it, but I think mine's better, but I'm not going to shit on it. Okay. The way that you said, you know, for your Igo was uh, way too much of an A-list actor. My cowboy (laughs) is, that's my, there's no way this actor would actually choose (laughs) to do this part unless he just loved fucking inner space. That'd be the only, only way. He is a huge name dude. And typically he's kind of known for being one of the more, intimidating scary kind of guys uh, you know one of the best villains of like probably like the last 20 years he could definitely i wanted to keep kind of like you know a non-us person so i kind of went with this guy who could play i don't know so any kind of like hispanic kind of culture mm-hmm. maybe he would do it for the cameo kind of thing you know maybe he just loves inner space i think a really cool cowboy would be javier bardem interesting yeah interesting <laughs> uh yeah, I could kind he of. Does, he doesn't. It, he doesn't do a lot of comedy, but I th- he's a, such a great actor. But I, he could. I think that's why it would work because I think it would be very an, a very unexpected thing. Exactly, it's an unexpected role. Now the only thing is, could I get him, you know, into <laughs> the movie? That's that's gonna be tough. I don't. You never know. You never know. You never know. Well, he might be up for it. You know, if the paycheck is right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a, that's well. a, that's an interesting call. That that is a bit of an unexpected one. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do. I really do like the uh, juxtaposition of like knowing of what we've seen Javier Bardem do before, and then this cowboy being just kind of like a a sillier kind of role for him to kind of just have fun with. Right. All right, so now we're to Dr. Margaret Kanker, or I don't, I think they called her Dr. Margaret. I don't remember them saying the last name. I just just only thought of her as the doctor. Right. I went for basically a one-to-one, she looks like her type casting. Okay. I'm not even going to build it up. I went with Julianne Moore. Oh, she does look like her. Wow. I didn't, yeah. Julianne Moore's a great call. I I like her a lot. She's a uh, fantastic actress. She's done everything under the sun from super dramatic to super humorous. Yeah. No, I I think it's a that's a killer call right there, John. It's probably a safe call, but you know what? It would work. Yeah, it definitely would work. I, I had two other people in mind. I almost went with Jane Lynch, uh, who mm. I think would be a funny actress in this role. And then I kind of was like, well, maybe I should play up the whole. I don't know. They they had like a very voluptuous part, right? You know, kind of about her that they were trying. So I was like, ah, maybe I'll do someone like Jamie Presley, who you wouldn't expect as like a doctor. Um, because she's very, you know, I don't know, she's got one, it's probably her southern accent that right. <laughs> pulls you from that. Right. But then I was like, you know what, no, I want to go with like a, a little bit more of an intimidating, you know, Dr. Kanker. I don't need to play up the seductive side as much, even though this actress is attractive. 
you know, I, I just kind of want to play up like the intimidating side. And this actress has been kind of intimidating before. Uh, if you watch Parks and Rec, uh, she was a fairly intimidating, you know, manager of uh, the Sweetums guys uh, candidacy for for city councilman. Uh, but maybe I went too far into the typecast of her as a doctor before because she also did the voice of Doc Ock in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I went with Katherine Hahn. Huh. Okay. She's really, really funny. She's also, you know, plays characters pretty intimidating and has done kind of villains before with Spider-Verse and, and even Parks and Rec to an extent. Uh, and so I think she would be a, a good casting for this. Um, I honestly do say I really like Julianne Moore as well. So I, I, I'm not going to concede it, but <laughs> I think you actually had a very equally solid-ass cast okay. on that one. All right, uh, so now to sort of the, the head bad guy, the lead bad guy, Victor Scrimshaw. There was a lot of different ways I could go, but I kind of found someone who I thought would be maybe a, a little unexpected in that you don't normally see him play comedic roles in movies. However, recently he's been pretty funny uh, in a show called Blackish. I went with Lawrence Fishburne. Oh, yeah, he is quite funny uh, in Blackish. Yeah. I like that. He would do I mean he's done he does comedy, he does stuff. I think that he would do a very good job. I mean he play he played a uh, sort of the bad guy in uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp and so it may be a little bit similar character, but he could kind of play up a little bit of the the silliness of what the Victor Scrimshaw character was with like uh, all the fur coats and uh, yes, the all white suits and all that stuff. And I mean or maybe he can put on those Morbius uh, glasses <laughs> one more time just to be fucking awesome. Right. I w- I would be Totally down. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is a that's a pretty killer call right there. And uh, my guy, who I chose for my Victor Scrimshaw, I don't know, kind of ties in. There is this. If you haven't seen this before, my actor was uh, once mistaken for your actor. <laughs> there was this idiot like news guy who was talking to. Uh, to my dude, and I was like, I, I tell you what, you working for Marvel, the Super Bowl commercial, did you get a lot of reaction to that Super Bowl commercial? What Super Bowl commercial? Oh, you know what? I've been, my mistake. I, you see, know what? What? see, you're, you're as crazy as the people on Twitter. Right. I'm not Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> That's my fault. Oh, I know boy. that. That was my fault. Uh, my mistake. You know what? We don't oh. all look alike. Fuck, oh. you're exactly right. We all black and famous. You are guilty. I am, I, I am guilty. Um, I am guilty. I am guilty. And it's fucking hilarious. He says, I'm not Lawrence Fishburne. We don't all look alike. He must have gotten confused in my guy, Samuel L. Jackson, did those credit card commercials. Yeah. <laughs> and he thought it was in. So anyway, my Victor Scrimshaw is Samuel L. Jackson. Particularly, I made that call because of uh, what he did in Kingsman. Okay. I absolutely loved him as like a comedic villain in Kingsman. Yeah. So I thought he could kind of, you know, not do that voice or do, but bring that same kind of vibe to inner space. Um, but, you know, I, honestly, both of those guys... Lawrence Fishburne and Samuel Jackson are fantastic, you know, actors. They could they could absolutely handle this. So I, I think that's another very equivalent casting right there. There was a, another show. It was a British TV show, and I can't remember which one it was. It was one of Ricky Gervais's shows. I want to say it was Extras, but I can't remember if that's what it was, where they literally did that joke. Samuel Jackson was on it, and one uh. of the people was like, yeah, you were great in The Matrix. He's like, no, I wasn't in The Matrix. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't normally watch films more than once, but I thought The Matrix, I, I loved it. It was 
Amazing. It's a good film. Good film, that's all she's saying. Yes. And you were brilliant in it. Oh. I wasn't in that one. Wasn't it? Yeah, you were. You should know. You know, you were in The Matrix. He was the main one. No, no, no. I can assure you I was not in The Matrix. But Lawrence Fishburne was. Maybe that's why you're confused. I know what you're thinking. She doesn't think you all look alike. Okay. Well, that's good that they pulled it back and he's got a sense of humor about it. Yeah. So, so now we're on to Lydia. Lovely Lydia. So I I kind of juggled around a few people in this in this role until I settled on this one. It's a silly, eh, not a silly movie, but you know it's a silly, it's a silly premise essentially. But I wanted somebody who, you know, had the kind of what I think of as think had that cute factor and not that she has been playing a, a character like this, but I can see the transition from her previously well known character to this character. I actually went with Kaylee Cuoco. Oh, okay. I mean, yeah, she they just finished Big Bang not too long ago, uh, so she needs something big. <laughs> yeah, it's a different kind of character for her, but I'm sure she could do it. Okay. I, I don't hate it. I like mine better, okay. but I don't I don't hate that call. Okay, I'll take it. You know, I, I wanted somebody who could kind of equ- be equivalent of, like, you know, the Meg Ryan cuteness factor, so I went with a very cute actress, but she does tons of comedy stuff. Um, I like her a lot in the stuff that she does that I do. I don't watch all her stuff, but um, also I want to keep the, I don't know, kind of like the, you know, the romantic comedy side of this aspect, Mm -hmm. you know, between Tuck and Lydia and and, in Jack as well. Uh, And she's done multiple different uh, romantic comedies, Uh, but I think she's adorable and I think she's hilarious, you know, very funny in a lot of uh, the comedies she's in. I went with Anna Kendrick as my Lydia Maxwell. Okay. Yeah. She's, she's adorable. I don't know. In my head, I always like, it's Meg Ryan's. She's got to be blonde. But no, she doesn't have to be blonde. Yeah. I I don't know if I'd like Anna Anna Kendrick blonde. No, I don't think I would either. No, that's I mean that's a that's a solid pick as well. Cool, I'll take solid. Okay. Uh, all right. So now to Jack Putter. This one was the most difficult one. I looked around a lot for a lot of different actors, comedians. Um, I needed somebody who could. Martin Short had that sort of lanky, nerdy look to him a little bit. So I, I and the sort of meek impression. Mm-hmm. After playing around with a little bit, I think I settled on someone I think could work. Also, I needed somebody, and this was where my cowboy casting came into place, because there's the face swap spot, mm-hmm. and so I was like, I, they probably need to have a sim- not, similar skin tones mm-hmm. for it to really work. So I picked my cowboy after I picked my Jack Putter. I actually went with the actor Karen Sony, who's best known as Dopinder in the Deadpool movies. Okay. He is funny as hell in those movies. And I've seen him kind of pop up in some other stuff too since then. Yeah, he's been in a few other things. Uh, he was in uh, he was in a TV series called Miracle Workers that was pretty funny that had Daniel Radcliffe in it. He was recently in the Detective Pokemon or Detective Pikachu movie. Okay. And he had I didn't see it, but he was in a movie called Office Christmas Party that actually looked pretty funny. But I didn't I don't know if it was any good because I didn't actually see it. Okay. Uh, he seems funny enough. Maybe it's time for him to step up, you know, into a lead role now. Yeah. Well, I I don't see I. You know, he's sort of one of the leads, but, yeah. you know, Tuck is the star. So I was like, you know what? I could put someone who's a little bit lesser known into this spot because they're the two of them are always going to be sort of together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a it's a it's a dual star, you know, between Tuck and Jack for me. Right. For me, I had a difficult time with this role only because I had a I had one person I wanted immediately. But I was like, all right, well, I know I've cast him before. And so I, I want to try to not cast him again. I Actually, I think I feel like we've cast him a couple times. Um, so I was like, all right, I want, I want to have someone different. 
Um, and I kept trying different names, different people, and I couldn't get off of this one actor. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I think he's perfect, particularly because of I was thinking I was focusing on the neurotic side uh-huh. of uh, of Jack Putter, and I was like, y- you need someone who is going to be playing super neurotic, super you know the hypochondriac, and, and he's got to be funny because Martin Short's like I don't know, just even even some of his like kind of physical comedy, the way he does things. Mm-hmm is really humorous. And so right now there's really only one person who I think fits those kind of categories. And I went with Kevin Hart. I think Kevin Hart would be a funny ass Jack putter. Now I did think about the cowboy face swap scene and it would have to be Kevin Hart to Javier Bardem in my movie. (laughs) And I don't think that's feasible. So I'm going to need the writers to figure out some other way to make that work or figure out how the hell they're going to do that. Um, or whatever, you know, if they want to, well, you know, I'm going to leave that for the writers, but I think Kevin Hart is just too fucking perfect for Jack putter that I couldn't get off of him. Adam, I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of that choice. Oh fuck! Really? But he's like he's so kind of crazy and kooky, just like just like Martin Short. I, I don't see. I mean, I think he's funny. I don't see the crazy, uh, the kooky neurotic tie. I just I don't think he's good for that role. <sighs> I think I I don't know. I mean, shit. Fuck you. I I, I think I think it's. Uh, God damn it! I thought I killed it with that one. I was like, yeah, man, Kevin Hart, baby, boom, mic drop. You set it up for a mic drop, but it, I I don't know. Yeah, I, was, I did. I was I, I was less than impressed with it. I'm sorry. Definitely expecting you to be like, oh man, you know what? That was perfect, Adam. I totally give up and concede <laughs> to you. Shit. No, no, not at all. <sighs> sorry. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed in you, John, to not realize that my choice was obviously superior. It wasn't the first time, and it won't be the last. <laughs> <sighs> all right, fuck it. God damn it. All right, I'm I'm going to redeem I mean, I know I know it's the perfect cast. I know it. Maybe my Tuck Pendleton will be someone that you're like, "All right, that's that's a perfect choice." All right. Well, then why don't you lead off our Tuck Pendleton? I will lead off my Tuck Pendleton. Dennis Quaid was a super good-looking dude. You know, he could do both comedy and drama. He did it all. I very much stuck for a one-to-one kind of actor for my Tuck Pendleton. And I went through all of like the regular leading mans right now. I was like, all right, do I want Chris Hemsworth? Do I want Ryan Gosling, Ryan Reynolds, Mm -hmm. or Chris Evans? Any one of them would be a good job. But I think this guy is just a little bit better. And maybe it's because he he looks more like Dennis Quaid than any of the other guys (laughs) that I mentioned. But he's in that same group. You know, he's done some comedy stuff. He's dead. He's hell. I think he's even played an Air Force guy before. I went with Chris Pine. Oh, as my Tuck Pendleton. I mean, he's definitely flown. He flew the he flew the Enterprise. So I think he can handle flying this little pod, you know, uh, into Kevin Hart. You know, (laughs) that's that's my thought. So I I like I think Chris Pine is a great choice. Uh, And so he is he's my Tuck. I do think Chris Pine is is a great choice. Thank you. I, I think it'll work. I, I I like Chris Pine. He can do, you know, we saw even in Wonder Woman, it's like some of the sort of comic, comedic yeah. stuff he can really mm-hmm. do. Uh, so I, I think it was uh, I think it was a solid pick. I almost thought you were going to go with my pick. Oh. Uh. Because I went with another Chris. I went with Chris Pratt. Ah, uh, the other, he was about, of that entire group, Chris Pratt is like the other guy who belongs in that group. Uh-huh. And I didn't mention it, I didn't say it, but yeah, Chris Pratt, he would be good. To, he would definitely play up like the comedic drunk side, I think, pretty well. Right. I think it's yeah, I think it's yeah. a little bit different than you know I mean it's not a it's not Star Lord no. per se but I I think it's uh I, nothing I thought I cast was really a surprise 
It was sort of mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, they would work. Yeah, except for when you were floored by how, by how good my Kevin Hart casting was. I remember that moment. That was really surprising. I was certainly amazing. floored, uh, <laughs> but not for the reason you wanted. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> not in my head, man. I'm, I'm sponging that out, and uh, I'm going to rewrite my own history. I think Kevin Hart works for a lot of roles. I don't think he works for this one. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, you liked my tuck. You liked most of my other stuff. We almost shared our Mr. Igo, but we didn't. Yeah. No common in this one. Oh, uh, well. All right. That was our casting of an Inner Space reboot. Please join us next time for a top 10 episode. John and Adam are joined by their sister, Abby, as they talk about their top 10 90s crushes. If you have any suggestions for movies or TV shows from your childhood, you can reach us at blastfromourpast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at at blastpastcast. So until next time, I'm John. And I'm Adam. And thanks for joining us. See you next time.